Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hello, everyone. I'm Ashley Manta, the Canisexual, sitting in for Carol and David on this week's episode of the Sexy Lifestyle Podcast. Are you ready to spice up your sex life? Well, you've come to the right place because that is what the sexy lifestyle is all about. We are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. And we love talking about everything related to sex, sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex, because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. Is cannabis the key to menopause relief? Today, Dr. Shannon Chavez, a renowned sex therapist, dives into the fascinating world of menopause and cannabis in our latest episode. Discover how cannabis can offer relief from the unique challenges that menopause and perimenopause bring, from hot flashes to sexual health. Dr. Chavez combines her expertise in sexuality and with a nod to cannabis to shed light on the potential benefits, risks, and best practices. Join us for an enlightening conversation that explores the intersection of women's health, sexuality, and the world of cannabis, offering valuable insights for those navigating the transformative journey of perimenopause and menopause. As we do on every show, let me tell you about our must-have top waterproof blanket, which now comes in four reversible colors because no one wants to sleep in the wet spot. And squirt is hot, until it's not. So if you're fed up with sleeping in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils, silicone lubes, and all other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply go to Amazon and search for Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket, and order yours today. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and I'm Ashley Manta, the Canisexual, and I am so excited to welcome today's special guest. Dr. Shannon Chavez is a sex therapist and sexual health expert that works with individuals, couples, and groups of all ages and backgrounds. Her work focuses on sex education, awareness, and growth, emphasizing sexual satisfaction and empowerment. Dr. Chavez currently has a private practice in Beverly Hills, California, using her unique mind-body approach to address both psychological and physical needs related to sexual concerns. Her passion is helping people gain sexual awareness through teaching workshops, retreats, community outreach, and writing. She's also appeared on national news and radio as an expert on sexuality and women's health. Shannon, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. Thank you. So you have been doing a lot of really cool work lately with menopause and perimenopause education. How did that come around in into your career path? You know, what's fascinating. When I started my work as a sex therapist, I was doing a lot of talks and speaking work around menopause. And at the time, it was such a new topic to me. And I thought, uh, you know, this is something that happens later in our lifespan. But it was really the first part of my work as an educator, as a therapist, working in a women's health clinic. So uh, I had the opportunity of working for this company called the Society for Women's Health and Research. And our job was really to spread awareness around menopause, how to talk to your doctors, how to advocate for what you may need around sexual health. So there were so many things that had me thinking about menopause as such an empowering experience, not the things that we'd been learning about it maybe early on in my education, you know, the the stigmas, the myths, the things that, you know, kind of kept women from getting the help that they would need. So I have been talking about menopause for a long time. And now I'm personally going through my transition, which makes me even more passionate to talk about it with with women. It's so important to be talking about this. And I feel like, you know, at least for me and, and our generation, we're close to the same age. Like our moms didn't really talk to us about menopause or perimenopause. Like if, Anything was said, it was just like, oh, 
I'm having hot flashes today or, oh, like I'm going through the change, but there was no transparency. There was no, like, it was all very kind of shrouded in mystery. And just like the, the older women talked about it and it was all like a lot of eye rolling and and deep exhales. Like, did you find that to be your experience growing up as well? Yes. And that it was mainly, you know, all the fears or all the negativity, uh, resistance to the changes. I don't remember hearing many positive views around menopause at all, which is why I'm so passionate about doing this work because it is, you know, that affects us all. If we're being socialized to think that menopause is this scary, dreadful part of our lives, then we're going to dread the whole idea of it and not talk about it and avoid it at all costs. And that doesn't have to be the case. It does not have to be the case. We don't have to live in denial or fear. So what are some symptoms of menopause that people may not recognize right away, um, especially because there's such uh, scant information out there about it? You know, there are so many symptoms. I mean, the main ones we may hear about are things called hot flashes, also known as hot flushes, because they are definitely not a flash. They are more <laughs> of a flush. And things that might start to affect, you know, hormonal shifts and changes. So sleeping issues, you may notice issues with your appetite, your energy levels, hair loss. So if you've had any hormonal issues throughout your life, you may see some of that amplified during menopause. And the amplification is only because those spikes of highs and lows as your hormones are adjusting are a little bit more intense than they were in earlier stages um, throughout your you know, hormonal lifespan, different from menstrual hormonal changes. So uh, there's a lot of symptoms. And that's why I think it's underdiagnosed and under uh, and a lot of women maybe not know they're going through the transition because they are thinking it's stress. They're thinking it's related to other health issues. And, and so it gets ignored or maybe looked at as something other than menopause. Totally. And how long does the process take? I know it's different for everyone, but like, you know, is, is there a, a span of years or months or, you know, well, that's where it can vary a lot for most people. I mean, the the thing that always stood out for me when I heard uh, menopause is something that we deal with for more than half of our life. So that seems wow. scary for some, but it's also manageable. I mean, if we think about it, our whole life from puberty on, we're dealing with hormonal changes. So menopause mm-hmm. is no different. But I think understanding those stages is important. So there's perimenopause or the early part of that transition, which For some can be very easy with minimal symptoms and other women may have more intense symptoms. It's different for everyone. And that stage is different for everyone. Some people may go through that for two years, some for 10 years plus. So it really depends on your health profile, your hormonal um, profile throughout your life, even your familial life uh, in terms of how your mother or other women in your family went through menopause. So there's a lot of factors. That's why it's difficult to quantify and know exactly what it is. But as you manage those symptoms, it becomes a lot more uh, not only manageable, but easy to know how to deal with those stages as they go on. So once perimenopause, uh, you transition into uh, menopause, which means the sort of absence of a period for longer than a year. Mm -hmm. And then we have postmenopause. Postmenopause can be after that cycle ends completely. And that can be, uh, you know, a period of years for some women. That makes sense. And it's also like, I think interesting and then things we don't think about often because, you know, for as little airtime as menopause gets broadly, then we really don't talk about medically induced menopause, right? Like for folks to, you know, have gynecological cancers or, or other kinds of, of having like, you know, ovaries or, or, you know, a radical hysterectomy where things are being removed or um, for folks who are transitioning and they take testosterone and other kinds of, of estrogen blockers so that that would send them into a, a menopause like state. So it's not just, you know, I think a lot of us think it's, oh, it's just, it's just for women. And it's just for women that are like over 50. And I think there's a lot more to it than that, right? Yes. I'm glad you mentioned those sort of, uh, you know, medical uh, induced menopause and other, you know, other factors that can affect the age range. Because I think since we think of it as a certain thing that happens at this stage and age of your life, you may be ignoring a lot of those symptoms or being misdiagnosed which means you're not getting the right treatment that you need. So I personally have endometriosis and 
the treatment is laparoscopic surgery, which can actually cause you to go into early menopause. So that's something that's talked about pretty openly when you go through treatment. Or some women with endometriosis may get uh, hormonal treatment to cause their estrogen levels to drop, which may cause also a medical menopause. So uh, a lot of factors, a lot of things to be aware of, um, even certain cancer treatments, there's a lot of different things that may cause that. So, uh, you know, again, it's it's that stigma or myth that it's this thing that happens later on in life when it can happen, you know, in your early 30s. That's why I try to educate women in their early 30s and on to think about menopause and start preparing for menopause and and be aware of it as not something we're afraid of or an end of anything, but embracing it with a lot of positive views and information that helps you get through it. Absolutely. And I mean, I, for one, am delighted at the prospect of not getting my period ever again. Like that sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, it's funny. I was just, and I was telling you this over the weekend when we were hanging out, like I had just had this conversation with my gynecologist last week when I went, because I have an IUD, a hormonal IUD. So I have the Marina and, um, I don't get periods right now. So I was like, listen, I'm 37. Like a lot of my friends are going into perimenopause in their like late thirties and early forties. What are the things I should be watching out for if, you know, missed periods is not going to be my indicator light on my dashboard? And and his first and actually only thing that he suggested to look out for was hot flashes. Okay. He's like, that'll that'll be the thing that kind of makes you realize something's going on. And I was like, okay. And it was helpful to an extent, but I was also like, wow, that's that's just one thing. Like, is is that the only thing that would possibly be different? Like I don't know. There's it definitely a whole array of physical and emotional symptoms. That's why I think talking about it is such a big part of menopause education and awareness yes. as communities of women. Because when we talk about what we're going through, we realize, okay, maybe it isn't normal that my mood is swinging and then I'm constantly irritable or I'm not getting good sleep or my appetite's changing. There's so many different things going on. Sensitivities to cold, that can be part of menopause. I mean, hormones are so fascinating and the amount of symptoms that they can cause so that we don't want to just sort of pigeonhole it into these are the menopause symptoms and this is everything else. I think exactly. being aware of all of those shifts and changes or having some indicators of those changes might be important to be able to say, hey, you know, I may not, I may be in the early stages, but let me get some information or talk to my doctors and kind of know what to prepare for and what my options are now, rather than doing it in the midst of all of those changes getting to be more and more dominant in your day-to-day -day life. So uh, paying attention to our body. I mean, that's a big part of menopause is noticing what's going on in your body. And that's good even for general mental and physical health, just being aware of how our body is responding to change, whether it's external change or internal change. And being able to advocate for ourselves is so important. I mean, so many times we're told, oh, you're too young for menopause or mm -hmm can't be that when that very much might be the case and, and being able to say, Hey, I'm ready to talk about hormone replacement therapy, or I want to know about this or sex is feeling different. And could this be part of my body going through some change? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was interesting to go to the gynecologist and say like, Hey, I'm starting to have tearing during sex. And the first thing he said was like, well, have you ever considered like maybe trying some vaginal estrogen? And like, this is completely separate from a perimenopause conversation. He's just like, yeah, vaginal estrogen is actually really good for like increasing like suppleness and 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 helping with wetness and and all of the kinds of things that that do tend to happen as as you age, but also can happen just anytime. And I've started using it just in the last few days and it's fascinating to feel the differences in having like estrogen being added to my vulva and vagina just for a few days. So I can imagine I'm seeing more doctors starting to talk about like vaginal estrogen being like a really, really important thing to, to keep in your back pocket for, for taking care of your body. Exactly. And I think, you know, the conversation of menopause and sexual health has always been a complicated one because menopause is so medicalized. I mean, we were using terms like vaginal atrophy or dryness and sort of implying that these changes going on vaginally are somehow holding you back from your best sexual life. But then it was sort of implying this very 
you know, heteronormative intercourse model of sex that, as we know, is really not the full picture of how women experience pleasure with their bodies and sex anyway. So I think that, you know, even as you're saying, vaginal estrogen, it's also the same conversation about using lubricant no matter what and, and products that we need for sexual wellness that don't imply there's a problem, but that are a part of supporting our bodies through the many different things that they go through as a result of just being a body that's evolving every single day. (laughs) A body in the world. Why do you think it's so hard and stigmatized to talk about menopause in our society, either between women or just like kind of broadly? What's getting in the way? I think that there hasn't been a lot of empowering messages around menopause. It's been very medicalized. It's also a very patriarchal medical model. And there's a lot of misogyny in medicine. There's a lot of ageism in medicine. And because of these attitudes, it's kept people in the dark. It's kept people isolated, maybe ashamed and embarrassed about what they're going through rather than feeling empowered and asking for what they need. And also getting really bad advice. I mean, if you're told that, the only thing that we're doing to address your uh, discomfort vaginally is so that you can have intercourse. That's sort of implying this message that intercourse is the only way to have satisfactory sex and that uh, it really kind of discredits any relationship she may have with her own body and feeling good in her body and pleasure in her body and, and knowing how to have different types of, of sexual and intimate pleasure that actually work for your body. So There's a lot of problems with that, that I think people uh, just end up avoiding the conversation because it is embarrassing or it feels like uh, you are going to be judged or given advice that you may not need. Mm. Yeah. The unsolicited advice is a real thing. And, and I think you're right. You know, when I think about my own masturbatory practices, right. And, and I think for a lot of women, I exclusively focus on clitoral stimulation. I don't do any kind of vaginal penetration when I masturbate at all. That's not to say that other people don't, and it's not abnormal to prefer one way or the other. But I think, you know, when women especially consider sex, like we think about penetration, but when we masturbate, a lot of us are just focusing on our clits. And so there is a sort of disconnect. Exactly. And I think you're just saying that I'm kind of going, yes, yes. I hear that (laughs) almost every day from women in my practice. And, and it's just, uh, again, it's something that's known but not talked about. I mean, how empowering is it to hear someone say, oh, you just stimulate your clit too during self-pleasure? Oh, I thought I was the only one. Or it's okay that I don't want penetration. I think it's, you know, those are important things to talk about. Or, hey, you use a lube every time you have sex. Oh, okay. That's all right. You know, these types of conversations are not had. And also it just sort of reminds us that sex is so goal oriented and performative Mm. anyways, that we don't talk about the little nuances in our pleasure practices that make a big difference in how we're feeling about our bodies. Yes. Oh my God. And I'm so glad that you said lube because, you know, if anyone has listened to me for any length of time, they know, and they know from you as well, like lube is so crucial. You should use lube every time you have sex. Using lube doesn't mean that there's anything wrong or you're not attracted to your partner or anything about you is broken. I had to have this conversation just the other weekend with some friends who were in town and she was like, yeah, I've been noticing I need to use lube more. And, and my partner's starting to like take that personally. And I'm like, okay, one, get your ego out of the bedroom, but two, like, no, that's not how bodies work. Yes, and just the sort of implication that we're just like, you know, gushing wet and this and that and, you know, these these stereotypes about sex that get in the way of being able to take control when you're going through something like a menopause transition or even dealing with any health issue, you know, implying that there's a certain norm or standard that we have to meet and that using things, uh, you know, means you're not doing something right or that you don't value your partner or whatever it is. I mean, I love accessories when it comes to sex. Yeah. I mean, I love lip gloss, so I love lube as well. Like bring on the accessories. (laughs) Let's make it as luxurious and pleasurable as possible. And I, I hope everyone adopts that attitude in some way or another. I think everyone would have better sex if they did. If if everyone just carried around some lube in their purse and and started feeling more empowered to ask for it to be used at intervals. Like it's not just something you add at the beginning. I've had partners that I'm like, no, pause. We've been going for five or 10 minutes. I need more lube. Like we need to re-up. 
Exactly. And I think we're not talking about sex and menopause, which means a lot more adventure and exploration. What I've seen with a lot of clients where it's not, it's like, Hey, let's think outside of the box. Let's look at, you know, full bodied pleasure. Let's bring in uh, many different, you know, many different ways to touch and explore. So I'm finding that there's a lot more women and couples in menopause that are going, uh, going the route of exploration and empowering themselves to think about sex in a much broader way that actually leads to having better sex than they've ever had. So that's why I really try to dispel the idea that sexuality stops at that age. And it's sort of this end all, if anything, I'm seeing more of a permission and openness to explore, to do what you actually want to do, to think of sex as, as, so much more than just this mechanical act. And I yes. think that could be great at any age, but especially that I'm seeing women in menopause say, yeah, we're ready for that change. Yes. Oh, I love that. We're going to pick that back up in a second. We are going to take a quick break and do a shout out to one of our show sponsors. We will be right back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and I'm Ashley Manta from Canisexual. We are talking with sex therapist, Dr. Shannon Chavez. Stay there, and we'll be right back. Let's just tell everybody about the topless travel trips that we have planned for next year. All righty. There's a whole bunch of great trips going on with topless travel, and topless travel does offer the sexiest and most erotic vacation experiences ever, from Hedonism 2, like we're talking about in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun and all the Bliss Cruise adventures, Topless Travel needs to be yours and it is our number one choice. And of course, their trips are all about pushing boundaries and exploring your naughty side and their exclusive sexy host couples like Jessica and Justin, like ourselves, like Party Mark. They're always there to ensure that you have one hell of a great sexy fun party. And as you know, you'll find us on many of the amazing topless travel trips. But listen up, we're going to be back at Hedo 2 for their topless hedonistic Halloween event from October 21st to 28th, 2023. And then we're going back for the sexy silver event, February 17th to 24th. And let me remind you about Topless Travel's two bucket list trips from where we're going to be broadcasting. The first one, we're going to be exploring the ancient pyramids of Egypt, followed by a seven-day riverboat cruise down the Nile from March 2nd to 13th, 2024. This is one of those trips you don't want to miss, experiencing, experiencing history with lots of open-minded, sexy, fun people. On the second bucket list trip, we'll be heading to Kenya for an African safari to witness the Great Migration, glamping in the wild savanna from September 2 to 11, 2024. This event is currently sold out, but you can still get on a waiting list in case of cancellation. And I'm sure there's going to be a repeat um, trip the following year. So get your name in there. Absolutely. So go book before it's too late. And for more information about all their trips, you can go visit toplesstravel.com to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And this is just a quick reminder that if you are looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, you can always go to sdc.com and use a promo code 30314 for your first month free. That's sdc.com and promo code 30314. We definitely need to shorten these ads. I know, That's right? That's way lots. too much. All right, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that in the next couple of weeks. All right. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and I'm Ashley Manta from Canisexual, sitting in for Carol and David today. Now, let's get back to our show with sex therapist, Dr. Shannon Chavez. So, Shannon, before we took the break, we had just started to get into, you know, sort of a more holistic view of sex that um, women can start to adopt as they enter into perimenopause and menopause, partially because, as it's been told to me by many women, um, you you give fewer fucks as you start to get a little bit older <laughs> and you you have more sense of self and more discernment and better boundaries and you're more willing to be like no that's not what we're doing this is not just about you getting your dick off like let's talk about how to make this a more holistic full-bodied experience <laughs> yes right yes i love that yes preach <laughs> yeah. fewer fucks given or zero fucks given which is even better like i think that is the thing to which we all aspire we're like Really? I don't have to stress about every little thing. I don't have to have my makeup perfect and, and my like lingerie just so before I enter the, I can just like be like, Hey, I want us to feel good together. Let's talk about what that might look like and not have a script. 
Exactly. And I think it's such an internal versus external struggle because internally you may be feeling that boost of confidence. What I've noticed during the transition for myself is that sometimes that irritability or those mood swings actually motivate me to kind of be hungrier and want to get more done. So I've kind of learned how to utilize those changes as something productive rather than yes. thinking of as a, at a place to make me stuck. So I think that's important. But the external is the fact that society and culture doesn't support that. So you may be going through this new wave of confidence and feeling good about yourself, but then society's telling you your body's not sexy enough or aging isn't attractive or all of these really negative age ageism sort of comments and looking at an aging woman's body as less sexual, then it doesn't sort of match with the internal. So then that leads to a disconnect. So mm-hmm. I may kind of feel what I want and feel that level of confidence, but now I don't have anything to support that. There's no working models of that in my culture, society, on media, in media, or even articles kind of talking about, you know, the menopausal golden age of sexuality. So there's a disconnect. And that's why I do this work now is I want to bridge that to help there be those headlines that we see in those movies that we watch so that it feels more empowering. And yeah, I I love this sort of wise age of sexuality. I mean, it's much better than you think of the earlier issues we deal with in our youth around sex. Oh, so much better. And I think like one of the things we lack is sort of like role models and heroes to look up to, right? Like we have a few, uh, we have Nina Hartley, who is in her 60s and is so hot and so <laughs> empowered and s- having such amazing sex. And Betty Dodson, of course, who continued mm-hmm. to have sex into her 70s, 80s and was still masturbating in her 90s before she passed away. Like we have a couple, but like a lot of the the models that we have for women's sexuality and aging is is still very patriarchal. You know, the sort of Mrs. Robinson MILF kind of um, you know, the only ones who are attracted to people that age are like, you know, these 20 something year old boys who just think it's cool. Or exactly. Or just sort of looking at our only value as being our reproductive abilities. You know, if that's not there, then we're just kind of done and we're kind of tossed out by society. And that's just not the case. I mean, women are living, you know, what's really beautiful about menopause as a whole is that, the reason in our culture now that we have so much, uh, so many women going through menopause is a sign that we're living longer, that our health is actually improving generation by generation, and that we have more women in menopause, which means that we have more women living longer and and doing more, having more to contribute to society. Yes. So I think that, you know, we have the power to change those messages. And I think there's a lot of platforms that are starting to do that. And uh, yeah, it's actually a sign of good health versus all the things we've learned throughout our life about menopause. Totally. Sexy does not have an age. And and as our colleague Joan Price likes to say, like, your sexuality doesn't have an expiration date. It's not like you have to stop having sex because of an arbitrary point in time or a change in your health or your hormone levels. Like, you get to, one, define sex however you want, and two explore it as it feels good for you. There's no pressure to do or not do. And, you know, if your interest in sex does happen to dip, there's nothing wrong with that either. There are so many other ways for couples to connect. Exactly. I think it just sort of amplifies our resistance to change as a whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we think about it, our whole adult life is going through hormonal changes. So that's why I look at menopause as, you know, it's just another stage of that. And if anything, our body is just working so hard to do what it's designed to do. And that's why it's going through these ups and downs and highs and lows. So, uh, you know, resistance to change. I mean, we see that a lot in our work as coaches and therapists in terms of what people are are kind of resisting to let go of and embrace and, you know, going back to how things were rather than finding new ways to you know, engage and do new things. And I, I think that it's, it's all opportunity. There are all things that we can do within our, our change and evolving that can improve our pleasure. I completely agree. And some of the things that we can do to improve our pleasure are natural and plant-based, which is pretty cool. So to bring in cannabis, some of you are probably like, where is the cannabis in this sex and cannabis talk? <laughs> um, here it is, y'all. Thanks for waiting. So... 
when I first moved to California in 2013, that was the first time I had had access to medical cannabis. And I was only, what, 27 at the time. But when I found out that there was a company that was making a THC infused oil for women to improve sexual pleasure and sexual response and like in, with the goal of sexual health, I was fascinated. And I found out very quickly that this product was originally conceptualized for perimenopausal women specifically. They found that having THC applied directly to the vulva and the vagina prior to sexual contact, whether solo or partnered, was improving responsiveness and sensitivity. It was decreasing discomfort. It was increasing um, lubrication. It was helping women feel more empowered in their bodies and able to do something, you know, that they felt more comfortable with. Because as much as I love things like vaginal estrogen and hormone replacement, you have to go to a doctor to get those. And that can be a barrier for some folks. So to have an additional tool in your toolkit seemed really interesting. And so I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And then they figured out that on people who were not in perimenopause or menopause, that it was also really having those same effects. So orgasms for everybody, bring on the weed lube. (laughs) And suppositories. I mean, I know uh, a company that we both are familiar with, they are, they have a product specifically for menopausal women. That's what kind of excites me in the cannabis world is that cannabis has really said, Hey, we are here to support women's health issues, whether it's endometriosis, pelvic pain, and and menopause, menstrual issues. I mean, there's been so much support in products for women. And and I think that uh, that says a lot, you know, that they're sort of coming forward and providing things that uh, you can be in control of. You can try different types of products and see what works for your body. And there's sort of no standard of what's going to work and what's not, but exploring that and figuring out which of these products help. Again, the name of the game is alleviating symptoms and helping you feel more comfortable in your body. And that's what these products are designed for. And I think cannabis is is such a great support of that because there's really minimal side effects and risks and a lot of different ways you can use it. So it's not taking a pill every month. It's not something that's going to risk other health issues. I know hormones definitely have had a lot of different press throughout the years. Are they good? Are they bad? Do they cause cancers? There's so much mixed information. So using something alternative like cannabis to help with alleviating symptoms can go a long way and it may be all you need. Not everyone needs treatment. I think that's also a misconception with menopause is that everyone's going to need hormonal replacement or doing some sort of treatment, not necessarily like any change we go through in our health that really is self-evaluating what you need to support those changes. Absolutely. So you and I both did a little bit of research in prepping for this conversation. Do you want to do a little show and tell of uh, what you found in the um, the journal that you discovered talking about cannabis and uh, women and menopause? Yes. So I found this National Institute of Health. There was a big survey done out of Alberta, Canada, and they basically looked at through the survey, what were women's different patterns and perceptions of using cannabis for menopause. And overall, they found that in the study that most of the women, and there was about maybe 2000 women that were interviewed, their median age was about 49 years old. Uh, Most of the users were more likely to report their symptoms compared to non-users. I thought that was really interesting. Also that uh, there was overall a lot of relief in both physiological and psychological symptoms. So I think that's important too when remembering using a product like cannabis, whether you're using it localized or oral, that there are a lot of different routes of how to use it and Some of the main changes or things that there were relief from were mood changes, muscle and joint pain, sleep uh, disturbances, and decreased libido. I know that's always one that's up in the air in terms of big studies, but uh, in the way I teach libido to interpret this study, it was having more energy or desire for sexual situations. So that's uh, an important to know that cannabis created a little boost for that. Absolutely. That's so helpful. Like, you know, it's always good to have some science to back it up because I've got anecdata for days, but like to see, you know, 2000 surveyed respondents, you know, have these results. 
And, you know, a lot of them are using cannabis daily for, for over five years. Um, most of them, 73% said that cannabis was helpful with their menopausal symptoms, which is huge. Like that's an incredibly high efficacy rate, like compared to, you know, pharmaceuticals, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, we know that anytime there are surveys, especially like even in peer reviewed journals, there are some caveats and things that we have to pay attention to. Like, you know, one, the people that are most likely to respond to a survey about specific topics are probably people that are favorable to those things. So that can skew results slightly. Um, And another always is like, okay, cool, but who's paying for it? So, um, you know, every, every statistic I think is good to take with a grain of salt. So we'll kind of own that at the top. And obviously neither Shannon nor I are, are medical doctors, but it's certainly interesting enough to bear further scrutiny and to maybe some have some conversations with both your healthcare team and, you know, the folks in your life around, you know, is cannabis right for me? Would this be beneficial to me? Exactly. And I think menopause and cannabis have a lot of the same issues in our society and culture. Mm. There's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of uh, misconception, uh, misinformation. So, uh, you know, just something to keep in mind in things we read. I mean, when I see these studies, The main thing that gets me excited is the fact that they're actually talking about it and asking women their experience and what they're using. Because there's a lot of alternative therapies that we're probably not even barely touching into and how we're what we're hearing about in terms of our access to information. So that's why I think community is so important to talk about. What's your experience? What are you using? Talking about it, even in your family, to talk about what have been some of the experiences of the other women and what they've gone through, that gives you a lot of information as to what you may experience as well. So community, very, very important. Community is so important. One of the things I found especially interesting about this study in particular was that the they shared which types of, of cannabis were used, which forms. Um, and the top three were edibles, oils, and smoking. And so I find that interesting for a couple of reasons. One, I like edibles from an access perspective. I think people that are intimidated by smoking that don't want to smoke because of maybe lung concerns or otherwise, that's a good thing. But edibles are also very easy to dose too high, right? Like how many people have we heard from, including our own selves, that, you know, I took a 10 milligram edible and then I regretted all of my life choices because it was too much for me and it's a long ride, Um, so I was a little bit surprised to see edibles and then at the same time, not at all surprised. And then oils, do they mean tinctures or do they mean topicals? Cause if topicals aren't even being mentioned, like let's assume that they mean tinctures, that they mean edibles, tinctures, and, and smoking. If they're not talking about topicals at all, that's completely leaving out suppositories and the, um, oils that you would put on your vulva both of which I would argue are the most beneficial for those localized symptoms. Less so for mood, but certainly for cramping or or any kind of like pelvic discomfort or just like tissue suppleness and, and lubrication. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's such a big area of, of I think even in general, all, uh, you know, vulval vaginal health issues, these are products that women are still, I find, surprised to know exist and how to use them. So uh, a big area that we don't want to neglect, especially when collecting data about what's working for relief of symptoms. Absolutely. And then I found another survey that was much, much smaller than yours and not peer-reviewed. It was just a survey that Harvard did, um, which only had like less than 500 respondents. Um, and it was like, participants were recruited through social media sites and an online recruitment platform. So, and it was largely white middle-class respondents. So like, that's the other thing I think that we're missing a lot in these um, research studies is demographic diversity. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. Cause like communities of color are, are going to have different experiences in life. And then, you know, with medical providers and all of those things, than than folks who are white. Exactly. And I think with menopause, also different health risks associated with menopause. So there's a lot of research around, you know, African-American women, Latinas, all these different populations that may have different risks involved, which require different routes for treatment and kind of understanding your own health profile to make those good choices. So, uh, yes, we have to remember that with data and research and and uh, 
peer-reviewed journals that there may be some limitations into what and how those reports are. We're making sense of those results from those reports for sure. For sure. Which just underscores your point of community and how important it is to talk to people who have, who look like you, who, you know, who have a similar life experience to you. Um, because those experiences are most likely going to be more relevant to you than what somebody read in a medical journal that again, had a largely like white middle-class respondent pool. Exactly. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Yes. So let's see, where do we want to go from here? Should we talk about some like conversations that people could be having around menopause, like specifically with their partners? Like how do you start to broach that? when this is, when you're starting to notice changes or when you do go to the doctor and and get a diagnosis, like, Hey, you're in perimenopause. How does that typically go when you're bringing that up to a partner or how could it go that, that it would be best? Yes. I love the conversations between partners because it's something that, uh, it affects the relationship. It's not just affecting sex. It's going to affect how you're feeling in the relationship and what you may need in terms of uh, you know, taking time for yourself, focusing on your health and treatment. And I think we should educate partners about every single stage of what that is, bring them into the conversation. I like to quiz my husband around menopause. I'm like, do you know what this is? How would you answer this? I mean, just talking about it. And I think openly without it feeling like a serious conversation, but I started with the casual conversation. You know, what do you know? What have been your misconceptions? What are the things that you've heard that might have been confusing? And then here are the things I'm learning. And here are ways that I might need your support. And here's my here's how I imagine some of the things that might change. So you're having casual conversations that lead to important conversations about getting needs met or how you may support one another. But I think it's, you know, like any conversation around intimate health is is being able to just start by talking about it and not feeling that we've got to have all the answers, but that you're working on this together. And I think that partners play a big role in that support system, holding space, creating uh, support for changes to happen, especially if it's around partner pleasure. And uh, yes, you know, don't keep anything from your partner. If anything, bring them th- to the doctor's appointments with you. Yes. Research together. If you're reading a book, have your partner read it as well, that it, it's not something that you should have to do on your own. We need support when you're, we're going through any major changes in our life. So since this is a big part of our lives as women going through this transition, your partner's going on this journey with you. So get yes. on board and pick up a book and you're learning too. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk more about this. We have to take one more break. Um, I just want to remind everyone that this is the sexy lifestyle. I'm Ashley Manta from Canisexual sitting in for Carol and David today. And we are having an amazing discussion with sex therapist, Dr. Shannon Chavez, all about menopause and cannabis. But now let me tell you a little bit about who I am and what I do. And this actually relates directly to Dr. Shannon because we do it together. I am a sex and relationship coach. Um, A lot of my focus in my work has been on sex and cannabis and broadly sex and altered states like psychedelics. Um, But really the core of what I do is I work with women and couples to help them feel more empowered in their desires, to feel able to set boundaries and to communicate more effectively and to navigate conflict in a really intentional way. And Dr. Shannon and I have actually teamed up to offer concierge coaching for women or couples where, you know, for folks who have really intensely busy lives, whether they are creatives or executives or just have sort of a non-traditional, like non nine to five life that they maybe can't get into a session every week for weeks on end. Um, We are offering some deep dive intensives that can either be a day, a weekend, or even a full week that you get to spend with us in the location of your choice. And we will go through every aspect of your relationship and I'll just offer a full tune-up. So if you are curious to learn more about that, be sure to email me, ashley at ashleymanta.com. You can also find me on my website, canasexual.com and on Instagram at canasexual. This is The Sexy Lifestyle and I'm Ashley Manta. Now let's get back to our show with sex therapist, Dr. Shannon Chavez. So Shannon, before we took the break, um, we were starting to talk about, you know, how partners can be supportive 
in menopause. And I'm curious, and I'm sure you have some stories of partners getting it wrong. So what are some mistakes that, you know, partners you've heard of partners making or, or you've had to help clients kind of clean up that it would be helpful to avoid doing these things? Yes, I would say making the focus entirely about menopause. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. that's part of the change and transition. But I think when couples are coming together to figure out how to meet each other's needs, we have to talk about all of the things going on. I mean, your partner may be going through changes as well. So it can be a conversation about here are the things that are evolving and changing in each of us. And yes, menopause is a part of that. But what are what's our intention for bringing it up? Maybe we want to do things differently. You know, where I seem partners maybe get it wrong is they're focusing too much on problem solving or figuring out a quick solution to the issue itself, where it's really much more than that. So mm-hmm. it's not about just putting out these little fires. It's about making some lifestyle changes, working together, opening up communication. And uh, it's not just one conversation. So I've seen that too, like tell us what to do and then we don't have to deal with this anymore rather Mm -hmm. than looking at it as a lifelong change into better intimacy. Yes. Oh, I love that you said that. It's not just one conversation. This is not a box that you check. Like this is now a part of your life, just like anything else that's a big transition. So you have to, it's ongoing maintenance, right? Like this is, this is your car now. So take care of it honor it, celebrate it and, and pay attention to maintenance so that it will drive forever. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, it's okay to have resistance to change. I think there is definitely grieving that goes on throughout different stages of our life where we may say goodbye to things, how they were and, and, you know, embracing newness is exciting as it sounds for some is terrifying to others. And, that it's it's okay to sort of think of it as, yeah, I might miss that. But yet, what am I open to embracing uh, as new? Or, uh, you know, what, what am I committed or willing to do moving forward? I think that's important in those conversations. And also that you might be having completely and most likely having completely different experiences. And that's okay as well. You know, that's part of what we facilitate in coaching and therapy is to help you both integrate your different experiences and perspectives into a path of healing and working together. Absolutely. And and realizing that there is not a one size fits all answer to any of this, that, you know, one of the things that I love about you that I learned from you is that couples can really make their own rules. And so you don't have to share a bedroom. You don't have to share a bed. It's okay. It doesn't mean anything about you or your relationship if you need to make adjustments and accommodations for each other's body and needs. Yes, exactly. Making your own rules and uh, not feeling bad about asking for what you want. I think especially as we're going through our menopause transition, You may want more time alone. You may want to do things differently. And that doesn't mean that you're rejecting your partner, your relationship. That's part of asking for what you want. And it's not always easy to do that. So look at that as something that we can validate and celebrate rather than uh, think that it's some sort of indication of a problem in a relationship. Absolutely. And it can be a really beautiful opportunity for partners to support one another with cannabis if you add in cannabis use as like a ritual, right? Like something where, Hey, I saw that you were like having a tough day and it seems like your body's been bothering you. So I drew you a bath and I put in a cannabis bath bomb, you know, assuming that you're both cannabis friendly and and such, or like, Oh, I picked up some suppositories cause I heard this podcast and I heard they might be helpful. And so I put them in the freezer for you. Like, if you want to try them. Exactly. Supporting each other, being where you're at, being creative. I mean, what you're describing is sort of being creative and thinking about things, anticipating one another's needs. And that's, yeah, you know, something that we should practice doing continually in our relationships, no matter what it is. I think it's so valuable to do that and and to have these these conversations periodically because needs do change over time. And what was true for me a year ago may not be true now. And what was true today might not be true tomorrow. So like checking in as a practice rather than just assuming what you think someone needs, I think. 
Yes, yes. And being more direct and intentional with communication. Mm -hmm. So I'll hear couples communicating all the time. And I almost feel that they're talking a little bit too much about Mm. nothing. And there can be more specific ways to, you know, being intentional, you know, why am I bringing this up in the first place? What, uh, how do I want to bring my partner into this experience I'm having to get their support? Or what's our experience together that we're supporting through this conversation rather than just blurting out feelings and dumping out every thought and hoping that it, it, you know, works itself out. I think we have to be very intentional. You know, why do I want this? What what, what do I need from you right now? Why am I bringing this to your attention? And working together in communication rather than reacting to one another, which takes a little bit of practice, but uh, better time than ever when you're going through changes in your relationship. Yes. Do you have any kind of pro tips or or things for partners to practice? Because I get clients who have the blurts all the time. Like, I had a strong feeling and I just need you to let me dump it and like verbally vomit it onto you so that it gets out of me and I feel better, but then you don't actually, cause now you have to clean up the mess that you just made. So like any tips for people who are learning how to kind of create a stopgap between their reaction and their response? Yes. Time. I mean, I, I always say if it's been 30 minutes since that sensation of that emotion occurred, that is your time to start organizing and assessing and being aware of what you're going through rather than the blurts tend to happen there. I'm feeling it. I got to say it. But that changes a lot. I mean, I always say give yourself some time to self-regulate and assess what's actually going on before blurting it all out. And what we notice is that when we go through that cycle of our emotions, there may not be anything to communicate other than maybe the recognition that I worked through that on my own and I'm doing great right now. So I think that's important. You know, we we tend to feel, I think we learn that. I learned that even in the early days of couples therapy is that we need to communicate and don't walk away and make sure you work it all out. And I think that we need to do our individual regulatory work before bringing bringing it up in our relationships, because why are we bringing it up in the first place? Being very intentional about what it is. And emotions shouldn't necessarily be a part of that. Uh, Direct dialogue. I mean, maybe they're part of our experience to get to the value or the need, but, you know, talking about like, I feel hurt and I'm sad and every moment and every thought is not productive. I think if anything, we get drowned in all that energy and then we lose track of what we're trying to do in that dialogue. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. I tell clients all the time, like whatever is is bubbling inside of you, write it down or like record a voice note to yourself, like purge it, but don't do it at your partner. Like they don't need to be present for this like process that you're having. Yes, absolutely. And then you'll kind of notice your own ebbs and flows and changes that, that go on and your ability to deal with your own emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a culture, we really struggle with tolerating discomfort. And we have this sort of like, well, if I feel bad, and I think that you're, you know, quote, making me feel bad, then you need to deal with me feeling bad. And it's your job to make me feel better. And it's like, whoa, 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 that's not that's not the thing. That's not the thing. And that can get you in a lot of communication pitfalls with the partner for sure. For sure. So smoke about it, like go realize that you're feeling stressed and go off on your own and maybe have a couple puffs of some cannabis. Maybe, maybe do an edible if that helps you feel relaxed and regulated and wait until you're in a more grounded, balanced place before bringing those conversations to your partner. Because if you're both in a really reactive, you know, 11 space, how productive is that dialogue actually going to be? Exactly. And you're going to use up a lot of libido trying to work that out, all that emotional back and forth. Absolutely. So much of that. Do you have any uh, favorite like self-regulatory techniques that you like to recommend people try when they're feeling really amped? Walk outside, no matter Mm -hmm. where you are. I mean, if you can go outside, getting fresh air, orienting to nature, just walking forward movement, it sort of allows that energy to move through your body because that's what emotions are. There are a lot of energy and they get locked up in different parts of our body. And we tend to think we've got to think our way through it or we've got to process how we're feeling. We've got to just move through that. And movement and walking is, is a very meditative practice. I mean, it allows you to just 
be present, and then also have all of the stimuli around you that supports whatever you're going through. So it almost minimizes the fact that this emotion that felt, you know, gigantic is now just some energy that's moving through my body and it feels much more in my control. So movement and nature tend to be a big one. I know we hear that a lot, but it's such a simple way to shift out of whatever you're stuck in. And there was a big study years ago, I think it was the early 2000s that showed a seven minute walk is equivalent to 10 milligrams of antidepressants. So there's something about that regulation of serotonin that happens with just simple, and again, we're not talking cardio or vigorous exercise, we're talking about walking and movement. And so I I think that's one of the best ways to regulate. And I even recommend that couples when they're communicating to go on a walk. When you're walking in forward motion together, it tends to be a better way to make decisions and to hear one another without it being... Again, we're feeling every energetic move that our our partner is sharing, and we may be Mm. responding to that rather than really listening as we're moving forward, just in that action of walking. I love that so much because I usually tell my couples, take a drive because I like the idea of them sitting next to each other, but you get that with a walk and then some, because like you said, the forward momentum, because you know, if, if this is the first time you're hearing the idea of, of being next to each other rather than facing each other, the the kind of psychology behind this, would you like to explain, Shannon, why it's better to be next to each other than facing each other in a discussion? It's a partnership. It's about being together rather than we're sort of two individuals sort of reacting or responding to one another. So to me, it's symbolic. It really shows that uh, it kind of uh, facilitates curiosity more than how am I going to fix your problem? And it, it it sort of takes it out of the personalization and allows us to, to be a part of it and participate as, as a curious observer rather than uh, someone that has to be responsible for figuring it all out. Exactly. And I you know, I don't like sports, but I liken it to, you know, if you're on a football team, the people next to you are your teammates, the people across from you are your opponents. And so if you are facing each other, if you're sitting on the couch, like having this very intent, like eye contact conversation, it can feel very adversarial. Like I'm on my side and you're on your side and we're trying to like figure out who's going to win this. And, and, you know, the walking or riding side by side really puts you on the same team. And I think that is so powerful. And, you know, adding cannabis to that, I have friends who are a couple that had like a a peace smoke at the beginning of a difficult conversation where they'd pass it back and forth. And and that would help them feel a little bit more grounded and regulated as they move into those discussions. I like that. A peace smoke. Interesting. (laughs) I could see that being very, very useful. (laughs) So useful. And then breathing, obviously, you know, I'm a huge nerd about breath work. And so I find that the four, seven, eight breath is like my go-to. It will lower your blood pressure. It will help you feel more present in your body because if your heart rate is flying, you're not able to like access rational thought after a certain point. So Letting your body know that it's safe in a way that bodies understand is a lengthy extended exhale. Exactly. Yes. Breathing. And that just keeps you connected to your body's experience rather than what we've kind of learned is I got to escape or numb or get out of how I'm feeling rather than, you know, manage it. Because most emotions really don't last that long unless we're giving a lot of meaning and thought and belief to them. Um, Other than that, they're just kind of always coming in and out, just like waves crashing in and out of the ocean. I love that so much. (laughs) So is there anything else about menopause that you think people really need to understand that we haven't covered so far that like, if you take one thing from this discussion that we just had, like, this is what you really need to grok about perimenopause and menopause. Be your best health advocate at any age. So I would say there's no, um, you know, it's not too early to start thinking about menopause. It's not too late to be starting to think about menopause, that it's a big part of our health, big part of our life. And if anything, gathering information, talking to people. So what I hope you take from this is talking to other women about their experience, you know, just asking what's your menopause experience been like? What are some of the things you've dealt with? You know, starting that 
conversation will build that community. And I think that's my biggest takeaway for women is, you know, community is key to managing menopause and, and knowing that uh, there's a different way to look at it. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. If anything, it's going to change how we've all been taught to think about menopause and all the stigmas that have kept us from feeling empowered and having great sex during menopause. And that's changing. I feel like there's a big wave of change coming and we all need to be a part of that. I totally agree. Are there any specific resources that you like for menopause, either for people going through it or for people whose partners are going through it that that people should read or listen to? Oh, there's so many good books and podcasts. Uh, I would say just get online and start looking at, at different resources. I mean, there's so many wonderful books. There are practitioners out there doing group events and retreats. So there's so much going on, but we have to do our research. Social media, there's some great leaders on social media that are you know, changing the whole landscape of the medicalization of menopause. So I, I would say, you know, tons of resources and also just going to a specialist. I think that's important too. When you're going through a change and if your GYN or doctor is not really helping the way that you're feeling, you know, going to an, a specialist, you know, and we are specialists as well. And in sexuality, it's different. You know, when you're going to a specialist, this is really their area of training and where they focus. So, uh, you know, getting the help you need requires sometimes specialist care. I could not agree more. The one thing I would add is uh, my new favorite book on this is a book by Heather Corinna called What Fresh Hell Is This? Perimenopause, Menopause, and Other Indignities and You. Um, I love that book for so many reasons. One, because it is probably the first book that's ever been published that approaches menopause and perimenopause from a not just women-focused lens. Um, Heather Krenna is non-binary and they bring in trans and and medical menopause and like those perspectives that get let, left out a lot of the kind of mainstream literature. And also they interviewed me to talk about sex, cannabis, and menopause. So you can see some more um, info in that book. And it's just a really fantastic resource. Um, and of course you know, Dr. Shannon is a wonderful resource and has some really cool things coming out in the next year. So be on the lookout for those as well. And, you know, as we conclude this enlightening episode on cannabis and menopause, I really hope it's provided some valuable insights for women navigating this transformative stage of life. You know, your journey through menopause is unique and exploring cannabis as a potential ally should always be done thoughtfully and in consultation with healthcare professionals, whether you're seeking relief from symptoms or just aiming to enhance your overall well-being, education and open dialogue are key. And really grateful to Dr. Shannon Chavez for her expertise and guidance. So tell people how pe they can find your work online on social media and your website and what you have kind of coming up that people can uh, sink their teeth into. Yes. So you can find me on all platforms at Dr. Shannon Chavez, my website, drshannonchavez.com, where I've got a lot of information on their resources, podcasts, articles, all things about all areas of sexual health and wellness. And it is Sexual Health Awareness Month all September. And October is Menopause Awareness Month. So there's going to be a lot of great content out there. And good stuff that I'm putting out on those two very important topics, two very important months. I mean, it's going to be a busy, amazing fall. <laughs> yes, it is. And you can hire us for concierge coaching. Yes. So. Concierge coaching, again, a personalized, more individualized way to seek care. And I'm really excited about this whole innovative way that we're coming together with coaching and therapy and education to give people their own personalized way to heal. Yes. And we will also be offering some retreats at um, some places in California. So keep an eye out for that as well. Wow. The end of another great show with another amazing guest, Dr. Shannon Chavez. Thank you so much for being here today. And a special thanks to all of you for listening week in and week out. As always, I am Ashley Manta sitting in for Carol and David. Uh, you can find me on social media at Canisexual or on my website, Canisexual.com. I also have my own podcast that has been on hiatus for a little bit, but maybe getting revamped soon. Either way, there are about 60 old episodes that you can check out, and that's at Elevated Intimacy. 
Um, and my online courses, elevatedintimacy.com. So check all of those things out and tune in again next time for another hour of the sexy lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and pleasure, and all of the fun ways to spice up your sex life. That's it for our show today. On behalf of Carol and David, I'm Ashley Manta sending you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 